In this podcast, we get to talk to two-time TT winner and lap record holder Cam Donald from his home in Melbourne, Australia. On his own admission, the likable Aussie's multiple race successes on the island have given him plenty of good memories. But in 2010, Cam did something very different, lapping the iconic course on board a very special and very speedy bike. It's an event Cam happily admits to being one of the best things he's ever done. Yes, right after finishing the senior race on his GSXR 1000 Superbike, he jumped aboard Loris Caparossi's GSVR 800 MotoGP bike, checking out just how well it coped with the TT course. It was supposed to be a steady parade lap, but as Cam says, it turned out to be a very different story. Here's what he had to say. Okay, Cam, uh, very good to talk to you. I presume you're at home in Australia now? Yep, down in, uh, well, it's not so sunny this time of year, down in Melbourne, in the middle of winter. What, is it down to a pathetic 25 degrees or something? No, uh, winter, we're a fair way south. We've got a couple of frosts recently, so, but I think today it was a top of about 14 degrees. But yeah, pretty, pretty wet at the moment, lots of rain, which we're happy with down here. We usually struggle with. Not enough rain, so we'll, we'll take it while it's there. But good dirt bike riding weather. Definitely no dust this time of year, which is a nice change for us. So is, is that what you've been up to primarily during this lockdown then? Yeah, with the lockdown, I mean, we're actually limited. We couldn't go out and ride for a while. They've, since they eased the restrictions, we're back to our trail riding. And, you know, we're from here only half an hour into forest where you could be very isolated, just head out with group of friends on our trail bikes and sort of head up and try to get out for a few hours most weekends. Sounds good to me. Okay, let's talk about this fabulous thing that you're involved with, uh, riding a MotoGP bike around the Isle of Man TT course. Uh, now, you're no stranger to riding fast around the circuit. You've won races there, you've held the lap record. But riding this GSVR 800, that, that was something super different, wasn't it? And super exclusive. T- tell me the story. How on earth did that come about? Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Well, of course, it was the celebrate part of the um, celebration 50-year anniversary of Suzuki Racing Grand Prix. Of course, Suzuki's first Grand Prix they raced was at the Isle of Man. So um, it was sort of a fitting... Uh, tribute and a fitting way to celebrate um, Suzuki's 50 years in Grand Prix was to take a Grand Prix bike to the Isle of Man. Um, when um, the team spoke to me about doing it, I mean, of course, I was pinching myself. And, and originally, we talked about me getting on the bikes. They said, there's definitely no way we can send you out on this, on a, on a MotoGP bike without you riding it first. So um, the plan was to test it at the Jerby Airfield on the Isle of Man, which is where they test bikes and you know, bed-in breaks and stretch chains and stuff like that during the TT fortnight. But with the schedule and the weather, for whatever reason, that couldn't happen. So the first time I actually sat on the bike running was um, yeah, heading off down Bray Hill. So it really was, yeah, it, it was incredible. Um, and I still remember the, the Crescent team coming in and setting up in our pit and getting to look at the bike with the fairings off. And I remember I was riding some pretty exotic machinery. Their super bikes at the time were, you know, they they weren't wanting anything. They were amazing equipment with, with all the, the latest and greatest parts on them at the time. But the MotoGP bike truly was next level. It was just, you know, everything was incredible. I still remember looking down at the suspension linkages and the, 
around the swing arm pivot and it was just so everything was so small machined and uh i remember saying i hope this thing holds together because it looks so <laughs> lightweight compared to a superbike did, did it look a bit too fragile then it honestly did to me after mm-hmm. looking at knowing you know for the tt we usually beef things up a little bit more than say you know circuit superbike spec um but, you know, of course, it held together fine. But I remember looking at it thinking, geez, I wonder if this thing would, would cope with six laps, you know, in, a, in, a, in the senior. Now, who tapped you on the shoulder and exactly when and where to say, Cam, do you fancy riding the MotoGP bike around the island? What's the exact detail of the invitation? It was my team boss, uh, Philip Neal, that um, uh, gave me the heads up, basically. He said, look, Suzuki, you want to do this thing? Um, and originally they wanted Loris to ride the bike. They said, well, Loris, he'll ride the bike. And Loris, it was interesting. Apparently he'd spoken to Valentino who'd done a parade lap the year before Rossi and Rossi said, no, not possible. Crazy to ride a GP bike around the circuit. <laughs> um, which is probably the best thing that could happen for me because, um, apparently Loris said, you know, why don't you get Cameron to ride it? I've met Loris a couple of times in Australia and, um, and in the UK at a, at a Suzuki press day at, Silverstone, so you know he, he's a heck of a nice guy, and lucky remember my name, I guess, and threw my name in the hat, and that was good enough for it to um to come about. So yeah, it was just the stars aligned, so to speak. Was that sometime in two thousand and nine? Then was it well ahead of you actually riding it? No, I think it was only a month or so ahead, maybe. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, maybe it was two months, but it was yeah, no, it was it wasn't long. Look, to be honest. You know, the couple of months lead up to the TT is a bit of a, a blur with preparation and testing and trying to settle on your final chassis package and tyres and stuff at the time. Remember that year we had a lot on. Of course, 09 was the new model um, Suzuki. So we were under under the pump. We had a lot of work developing the new bike, the K9 had come out. So, yeah, there was lots happening with the anniversary year and coming off back-to-back, you know, wins the year before. Um, but, yeah, it was it was such a standalone moment. Um yeah, I remember it very, very well. And I do remember speaking to Loris in the pit. Um, and I said to him, because I hadn't ridden it, I said, so taking it off the line, just nurse her away, sort of what, you know, six, 7,000 RPM like I would on a GSX-R, you know, uh, probably about maybe 8,000 on the Superbike doing a TT start. Not crazy high on the revs. You want to save the clutch and just get it off the line. But I remember him saying, no, 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 anything below 12 and a half, you know, 13,000 RPM, the thing will bog down. Just hold it wide open. I remember going, are you for real? I'm like, you're pulling my leg. He's like, nah, just hold it and just let the clutch out. Trust me, it'll be... And that's yeah, exactly what I did and it worked great. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, um, yeah, I remember how quickly honestly? it built revs. Yeah, honest to goodness. I remember how quickly it built revs and I remember how little vibration there was. It was amazingly smooth the way it revved. And we had, um, I think it was Mark Potter from MCN. So so just quickly, I'm even getting excited recalling the story, but I remember Mark was behind me on a replica GSX-R and he had an onboard camera. And I was under strict instructions to go easy for at least half a lap so Mark could get this fantastic footage of me on the GP bike. So I launched the start. The first few gears were just like a blur. This thing just took off like a jet. Just the acceleration even compared to a, a 215, nearly 20 horsepower superbike at the tyre. The thing was just so much more rapid. Um, I took off down Bray Hill. I backed off and then back on the throttle and I got to Quarter Bridge 
and I remember rolling around Quarter Bridge and I looked back and <laughs> I couldn't even see. And I looked up ahead and all I had was a straight with, you know, crowd lined both sides of the road there, people cheering. And I remember looking back, I think I had about three looks and I looked up and I thought, I know I should wait, but when am I going to get this <laughs> chance again? And I just boot into it again and off I went. <laughs> so that, thought I'll worry about the ramifications and not waiting for him later. But yeah, it all happened pretty quick. And um, the bike was just so, so nice you, to ride. Were you instantly bowled over by just how well it rode then? Yeah. The things that stood out amazingly was how, how quick it accelerated, how refined and smooth it was under power. Um, the team and even the, you know, the Crescent boys, the crew at the time, they were really worried it was going to be too stiff. Um, but they didn't soften it off because, you know, those big horsepower bikes, you can't, they'll tie themselves in a knot. Um, they put a relatively soft compound tyre on it, put the steel brakes on because they said so the carbon brakes won't get the heat in. Um, they were all sort of looking at each other, scratching their heads. No one knew how it was going to work on the real road. The amazing thing was is how well it did work. The bike was actually very compliant and it was beautiful to ride. But yeah, sheer acceleration was was a big shock. But the biggest shock to me was the braking power. I remember speaking to Loris afterwards and he said, you thought the steel brakes were good, you should feel the carbon because I think the combination of amazingly good brakes and such a light bike, that pulled up like just, um, it stopped unbelievably well. So, I mean... Uh, had you only got to sort of Braddon Bridge before you knew what you were dealing with or was it a learning process all the way through the lap? Yeah, I learned um, all the way through the lap and it was patchy, you know. We actually went through quite a bit of damp drizzle over the mountains so I had to take it pretty careful there but I think there's some footage on YouTube of me coming down Selby Strait. Um, you know, you were doing 200 plus mile an hour. Coming through Quarry Bends, I was fair giving it horns through there. Like by that time I felt comfortable. I could tell the bike was, it did everything I asked it to. Like when I pointed it, it went there. Um, it was funny because in the debrief, um, I remember one of the boys saying, did you notice a red light on the dash? Uh, you know, about 10 minutes into the lap and I did. But I remember at the time thinking, I looked and it wasn't getting hot. There was everything seemed to work. So I thought, I'm not going to stop because there's a red light in the dash. And he said the one of the sensors <laughs> had broken off the fork. So the anti-wheelie said, did you notice it started to wheelie? And I said, yeah, yeah, I did notice it wheelie a bit more after that. So that was one of the things. And that, and that just goes to show you, you know, the TT course, the pounding, the bike's cop compared to the, the short circuit. So um, that was the only, well, it wasn't even a glitch, but that was the only anything that happened to the bike apart from that it, it handled um everything I, I took it nice and easy over a couple of the jumps you know sort of the, the thought of those um very small linkages were in the back of my head but there was no need to worry it, it held up you know great and did it in its stride but yeah it was incredible so i mean did you go fast down the bottom of bagarro then or did you ease up a bit in for fear oh, of no, breaking I it a, yeah i eased up a lot more than my super bike just to be, you know, common sense and show respect to the bike. But, you know, at a time where, you know, I was a current TT winner, even easing up was still pretty, pretty fast. I was definitely, um, you know, I just felt really confident on the bike. And that's, uh, you know, it was such an unknown, as I said, to the team, to, to Loris and myself, everyone was sort of looking at each other, how's this thing going to work? And it was all just go around and waves to the crowd. Um, I remember Paul Denning saying to me, just before I headed off, he said to me, he said, look, just really enjoy this experience. 
Um, but keep in mind, this thing's, you know, probably worth near a million quid or something, you said to me, you know, to, to replace. And I remember chuckling and I think I said something along the lines of, good luck getting that out of me. <laughs> so, it was all a good bit of banner about it. But, um, yeah, the crew said to me, you know, don't, you're not going to hurt it, right? You ride it as fast as you feel comfortable, you know, you know what you're doing, just just go with it. The, the motor's full spec, it's a testing engine, it's not detuned, it's not, you know, we haven't lowered the rev limit or anything. It's apart from the steel brakes, it's as it would be racing a MotoGP. Did, was it true you jumped on it straight after the senior, which you'd just competed in on your GSXR 1000 Superbike? Yes, yes it was. Now, what what did it compare like? I mean, that GSXR is hardly a slouch, is it? No, well, you know what? It was it was amazing because it was straight after the senior. Of course, we struggled in two thousand and nine with the new bike, as you do. Look, a long story short, any manufacturer, no one takes a new bike to the TT and does well straight away, unless you get a really good week of weather and a lot of laps under your belt. It's very hard to develop the bike in practice week to the point where you're going to be competitive in race week. So with the 2009 bike, we, um, and we had some very different tires that year that we found out almost afterwards were a very different construction. We really were going in, down the wrong track a little bit. We take, we, I know there was a lot of info coming from Japan, but also AMA cause the Suzuki's were going great there. And we made the bike very rigid, big swing arm, big triple clamps. Um, and we, we had a lot of issues with it with basically chassis stiffness and we, we were looking at the tyre but um, at the time. But I remember as soon as I came in on that MotoGP bike, I said, I could have won the senior on this. The thing is so easy to ride and so compliant. Uh -huh. And that was when we made some big step forwards with the K9 Superbike because we started softening everything off. I remember going to a you know, smaller triple clamping, allowing the bike to flex and actually taking the bike back closer to how it was standard where the 2008 bike responded very well to all this beefed up bolt-on, but the, the K9 really needed a, a bit more flexibility in the, in the chassis. So it was amazing to get off the bike and actually say, this thing handles. It, it, it was easier to ride than my superbike. Um, and it was not just that it was, you would expect it to be more nimble, but it also had stability and it was compliant over the bumps. It, it was, you know, it was incredible. Did it have really good feel and feedback then compared to your superbike? Yeah, it did. It did, as I said, just because it was so light and so compliant. Um, you know, it felt it felt smaller than a six hundred. It was so compact. It just it just blew my mind. Um, you know, I'm good friends with Chris Vermeulen, and I remember speaking to him about it afterwards, and yeah, he just laughed. He, he could see how blown away I was. Um, you know, it just. And, and also, you know, just the, the amount of respect I've got for MotoGP riders to see how hard they ride them. I mean, yes, they are actually, a, for a racer, a relatively easy bike to ride, but riding them at that limit fast. Um, and, you know, Chris these days barely rides road bikes. He gets out on an adventure bike occasionally. And when Suzuki had the launch of their the latest GSX-R, they did the world launch at Phillip Island. Um and Chris was down there. And I mean, I said, how long since you've ridden a street bike? Oh, no, a year or two. And he went out and his, his speed, his lap speed was just incredible. Um, he's still so, and it just goes to show that's how good MotoGP riders are. Years and years off off the track and off the bikes, you know, leathers on, visor down and still blindingly fast. I mean, you, we had a couple of the top Aussie 
Suzuki supported races and they rode the stock bike and he was faster than them. So that was, um, it was, yeah, just goes to show how sharp that MotoGP game is. Was that the best race bike you've ever ridden then, Cam? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, and I, I commentate now for MotoGP in Australia and um, I'm actually doing the next few rounds online for Fox Sports Asia. Um, you know, so I follow that very, very closely and it, it just it just goes to show you, and I mean, it is the absolute cutting edge. It is the best of the best, I believe, for the riders and, and the equipment, you know. Um, just the amount of R&D and the technology. And, and that's what, you know, when people talk about the cost of these bikes, they think, well, how does that cost so much? Well, it's the time. Um, and I've still got the nose cone. Um, Paul and the boys presented it with me at Phillip Island that year. when they, I went to MotoGP at Phillip Island, as I always did. And um, uh, Paul sent me an email and said, oh, pop into the pit. It'd be great to see you. And when I popped in, they kept the nose cone of the bike that I'd done the parade lap on because they'd fitted my race number to it for the lap. And um, yeah, they presented that to me. And I only not long ago, because we're building a new house, mounted it on the garage wall there. But looking at the, the quality of carbon fibre and the finish on it, it's uh, beautiful. So, and, I've, and I've still got the leathers I wore as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really special memory. They should be in your front room, not your garage, mate. Yeah, yeah, the um, garage is pretty special. So in the house I built, but it's, uh, yeah. Oh, okay, uh, all right, all right. Now, you've said that it could be a winning bike. Is that something that it would do quite comfortably, do you think? I mean, what about the fuel range? Would you have to lap, would you have to refuel after every lap on it? No, we talked about it, actually. I said to the Suzuki guys, like, seriously, if we could tweak this a bit, put a bigger fuel tank on it, or, or fuel it, I mean, a limit, I guess, is 24 litres, I think in MotoGP at the time it was small, it was maybe 18 litres or something like that for MotoGP. I said, you know, if we put a 24-litre tank on it, um, made it a little bit more robust, you could still take the edge off the tuning for longevity, although the guy said the motor would be fine. Um, I said, you know, we'll, we'll set a new lap record. We'll, you know, they wouldn't see which way we went. I, I firmly, and I still believe that now, if you took a MotoGP bike and you tuned it for, for, the, um, for the TT, um, in saying that, you know, each year these production bikes now out of the box are getting so much better and so easy to ride. And what wins TTs is a bike that's easy to ride. I mean, could you do could you do one three six, one three seven on it, do you think? Given on, time? On a modern MotoGP bike, I've no doubt you could, yeah. But mm. it also in saying that, as I said, they are next level, but I'm amazed now uh, how close to standard they're running super bikes at the tt i mean you've only got to look at the super stock lap record mm. it's getting you know it's so close now because the stockers are so good the electronics are so refined um where we used to turn them all off they would slow us down where now they are a benefit and standard they're amazing but you know that all we've got my gp to thank for that that's that's where it's come from and that's why i feel it's so important you know because that's where manufacturers learn what works at the absolute highest level of performance now you're obviously enjoying recalling this uh, this lap was it frustrating just to do a single lap on it then and would you love to get back out there and do you know a full session yeah for sure i mean it was frustrating coming over the mountain because um we got a bit of rain and by the time i got up on the mountain i was actually starting to think oh this is gonna be interesting to see what lap time i do on this but um, we got a little bit of drizzle and then, uh, you know, sort of uh, calm ahead 
prevailed a little bit down the other side of the mountain, but still finished the lap strong. And yeah, all we were talking about afterwards, and it was great banner in the pits between my team and of course the Crescent team. Um, Cause at time, the time, you know, Crescent were running the British Superbike team and, and Taz and Relentless had their own team. So there's a lot of rivalry in British championship, but everyone got along so well in the paddock at the TT as they did at the, at the BSB anyway, but it was just so much banner. We're all talking about how good would it be if we could race this, you know, if we could, if we could get this past, you know, Suzuki or Japan or whatever we had to do. Cause I said, you know, it would just be incredible. And I think, you know, there was an enormous amount of feedback from people all around the course straight away too, because traditionally parade laps, at the Isle of Man are people sitting up waving to the crowd. and That's what people expected me to do. Um, so I think they were quite surprised when I came past sort of riding in an anger, but you could not, it was just too much fun. And I thought what, this would be the only chance I ever get to ride a MotoGP bike. I'm going to make the most of every mile. What, what was the noise like, Cam? Yeah, it was loud just for the revs. Cause it just, just shrieked. Um, as I said, it revs so quickly, it built revs so quickly. Um, yeah, but it had a, a heck of an exhaust note. And I mean, I don't particularly like loud bikes, but when they're loud, tuned correctly, uh, they're incredible. And, and yeah, you could feel it when you're on the bike. You felt it through your body, as you do on a super bike. But it was just next level, totally next level. It was like going from a, a total stock GSXR to a super bike, that same step again. Uh, so, I mean, you'd bite the hand off any man that gave you a chance to do another lap on one, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting in the journalist job now, you know, it's um, the journalists don't test MotoGP bikes like they used to. They used to be at the opportunity at the end of every year. And I know, um, you know, quite good um, friends with Alan Cathcart and he's spoken to me about it. They're not doing it like they used to. He said, oh, I'll put your hat in the ring. You know, you're more relevant these days, you know, still riding and and can still do a lap time so we'll we'll try to organize it but it just doesn't happen like it used to so it's such a shame because um yeah so few pe- people now really get to to experience it and also too you know at least when the journos got to ride them they could share with the punters what they'll sort of like but now it's just a dream um for most but you know compared to what they would have been like in the 500 two-stroke days and i'm a two-stroke tragic i've got to ride some pretty special um uh, old school GP bikes like 500 and 750 Suzuki's, which were incredible. But, um, you know, they were, you know, I can't even imagine trying to race one of those on a wet track or in ch- challenging conditions or dangerous circuits. But these new bikes now are so refined, they're rideable. Almost friendly? Would it make a good road bike, for instance? Well, I think I said that when I pulled into the Park Fermi after the lap. I said, I just kept saying, um, and I haven't watched this interview for ages, but I recall it well, uh, something along the lines of, it's just so easy to ride. And they end up getting that on the camera. That was one of the things that went out. I said, you could ride it. You could ride it. It'd make an amazing street bike. I remember saying that, like it just was so easy to ride. I remember, yeah, it was brilliant because it was front page of MCN then, which was huge. I remember picking that up a couple of days later. That was pretty, pretty special to see. Uh, so what's next for you then, Cam? I mean, uh, nobody knows the future just yet, but are we going to see you back at the TT, you know, doing the classic or, you know, doing some more parade laps? Yeah, I mean, I'm still racing um, classic stuff at home and dirt bikes, which I love. Um, 
so I'm still keeping a hand in and the eye in, so to speak, because I just love it. I love my riding and I love my competition. I'd like to come back and do the classic. It sort of bikes I've been going to ride fallen over the last couple of years and it hasn't happened, and that that's classic racing, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, we'll work towards that. And if not, of course, commentary duties with the TT, which I, you know, dearly love. I also work with a tour company from Australia. That's getting bigger every year. This year we had 270 confirmed people coming over. So, you know, they charter a plane from Manchester now. Once they fly over from Oz, like that's, you know, the, the tour company, they run tours to, you know, uh, a lot of iconic sporting events, you know, Wimbledon and Monaco and stuff like that. Yeah, they had a lot of interest in the TT. So about six years ago, they said, oh, we'll run a tour and that'll, that'll be the end of it. Well, each year it's got bigger and bigger and mm. bigger. I mean, the following of the TT in Australia is huge. It just seems to grow. So um, between that and testing bikes here, for, as I said, a couple of websites and magazines, I still... Um, Still enjoy. Um, I've still got a few Suzuki's. I've got an RM125 motocross bike still that I'm currently rebuilding, which I'll have going again. I'll post some stuff on social media on that next week. And I've got a K8 um, GSX R1000 as well because I'll never forget, you know, those, those TT wins mm. on the K8. So I'm building one up that's pretty special at the moment. I've got some pretty trick parts on that. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'll have that ready for this summer to do a few more track days as well. So I mean that 2008 year at the TT was your best, wasn't it? With uh, with the wins, uh, the yeah. We so we won the we won the stock race, super stock. We run the super yep. bike, and yeah, we had that was a shame. We were leading the senior, and of course we had um split crankcases and um, nursed at home. You know, um, it was amazing that we still finished second. Really, boys said I drove it too hard through the bottom of Bagaro, but. Um, <laughs> You know, when you've got John McGuinness on your tail, you can't slow down. So, you know, we never won again at the TT. You know, after that, we changed manufacturers and I went on to have several seconds. Um, yeah, but no, no wins again. So, you know, it was without doubt my greatest memories. Uh, you know, I raced Suzuki's in Australia and not just saying this to be polite, like, you know, my first bike was a Suzuki. I've always been very passionate about Suzuki. I mean, when I was a kid, my dad had a Katana. He used to pick me up from school on it. Um, I don't know if you've seen, I've got a Suzuki Katana sidecar now, a 750 pop-up headlight. It's pretty, pretty trick thing, actually. Found it in Japan and got it home and it's, um, I've got a baby seat in that or a kid seat. I picked my daughter up. She started school. She's six this year. I picked her up only last week from school in the, in the sidecar, you know, we're still, I've got a bunch of bikes in the garage, but I love my Suzuki's, um, and while building this K8 up is in Australia, they've started a new class of racing called pre-moderns. So the bike has to be 10 years. So now that it was 2008, next year it'll be 2009, but um, well, 10 or 12 years old, the bikes have to be. So I'm actually going to go and do a couple of, you know, it's only at state level, but when I see all those, you know, 2008 and nine model bikes out there, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll build up this K8 and get out there and have a bit of fun because it's still really fast and a lot of fun to ride. I've done this with everyone I interview and you, you forget just how much the likes of people like yourself have done, you know, a hell of a lot, you know, I mean, world endurance, bloody TT, more GP support races. You were very good in super uh, sport, weren't you? Suzuka eight hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did all, all the things we've sort of wanted to do. I mean, always aspired to sort of, World Superbikes when I was younger, but then once I got a taste of road racing, the TT sort of took me off on a different angle, but that also opened up a lot of doors to do some other really cool stuff. But 
Yeah, no, it's been a it's been a heck of a journey. But like most aspiring Australian racers, I just wanted to get out of Australia, and that was the opportunity to race in the UK. Was yeah, it was unbelievable. So it was such a big stage compared to what we're used to back home. And the, uh, I've been fortunate to ride for several manufacturers in several countries over the years. But my time with Suzuki GB was without doubt the, the happiest time. They really were like a family, and Philip Neal and Hector and the whole team. Um, and even Paul Denning and the Crescent team, even though I wasn't riding for them, they were so good to me. They gave me an offer of a wildcard for World Superbike at Donington. And politically, I had to turn it down mm. because the Relentless team weren't happy about me doing it. And, you know, I'm gutted now. Don't get me wrong. They're dear friends. I'm still good friends with all the team and the mechanics I used to work with. But I did the right thing. But uh, by then, I wish I'd stuck my ground because, you know, I mean, it was a wildcard at World Superbike. Paul was so good to me to offer that. Um, the team is still always great. The Suzuki guys to this day, when I meet them in the MotoGP team, uh, paddock, even though teams have changed, we still know some of the familiar faces. And I always say when I talk about it, my time at Suzuki, the brand was very much like a family. Um, and that feeling is, is similar with Suzuki Australia too. And, you know, I test bikes for all manufacturers here, but, you know, I get along very well with the Suzuki Australia guys. There's a lot of longstanding people there. And um, it's always had that, you know, they're a smaller sometimes a smaller outfit compared to some of the other manufacturers, but tied and knit and they work hard and it's, it's like a family environment. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of happy memories. Oh, talk about enthusiasm. That's a great tale. And Cam tells it as though it happened only yesterday. Clearly he loved every single second of the experience. Won't ever forget any of it. Anyway, don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss the next Inside Line podcast. See you then.